0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome to ex- episode 60 of Now We're Talking. I'm Rob Danish from the University of Waterloo, and this is a communication. Uh, this is a podcast about communication skills. So today we're going to talk some more about leadership, and we're going to pivot away from talking about persuasion. Uh, but I do want to continue to talk about leadership communication practices, and uh, this episode is focused on how important it is for a leader to be able to live with, listen to, or listen for, and speak with uncertainty and ambiguity instead of closure or, or certainty. It's a relatively complicated uh, set of practices that we're going to be thinking through today. Um, so it, it's at least, it's more complex than just repetition or attention, that's for sure. Um, so let's start with some backgrounds uh, about what we know, uh, or when we know sort of messages work. And uh, I wanna point to a couple of, the, the names of the studies are not so important, but I wanna point to a couple of psychological studies that are really useful for people in rhetoric and or people in communication like me that, that are worried about the practical uh, implications or the practical effects of, of using particular messages. Um, we know, here's what we know from psychology. When people feel really tense or stressed, it's likely because the world around them is less predictable. So if you're living in less predictable circumstances, if there's a higher degree of uncertainty around you, uh, let's say you work for a company and there's lots of layoffs going on. No one knows why the layoffs are happening. Uh, No one knows who's going to get laid off next. So there's lots of uncertainty about your job security, and everyone around you starts to get tense. So when the world, when your world is like that, when it's less predictable, people are more likely to jump to conclusions, uh, or jump to their entrenched existing worldviews. Uh, so people are going to be less open. To change or the kind of persuasion that moves people from one idea to another. So, you increase the uncertainty around you, it increases the likelihood that we'll cling to our entrenched belief systems. And I believe very, very deeply that this is a core Republican communication strategy for my lifetime, at least. Republicans in the US constantly try to manufacture a sense of uncertainty or danger or um, tension. So this crisis at the border thing with Donald Trump is about showing the possibility of danger to ratchet up tension or stress. In those circumstances, when people are feeling a sense of they don't know what's gonna happen next or is there really an invasion of migrants from the southern border? What, what, what does that mean for all of us? Um, And Trump does this constantly, not just with immigration, but he's constantly, he's like, well, we're going to see what happens. He's constantly trying to introduce uncertainty. Why does he do that? Well, when when you introduce higher degrees of uncertainty, people cling to their entrenched beliefs. Uh, They cling to their core um, kind of values-based beliefs. Um, So it's easier for Trump to make the argument that immigrants are bad, are Um, you know, are poison for American culture, et et cetera. And it's easier for people to agree with that when they're feeling this heightened degree of stress or uncertainty. So if you use a message uh, or or if you try to message people when they're experiencing uncertainty, uh, it's really, really, really hard to change their minds or to get them to see new perspectives. On the other hand, if people are very relaxed, very calm, if they feel like they're in a secure position, they're in a different place whereby they're open to, to different perspectives. They're less likely to just cling to their retrenched views and more likely to entertain alternative perspectives or more likely to, to change their mind or to be open or receptive to new ideas. So um, this is in part about nonverbal priming, which I've talked about before. So a lot there are lots of psychological tests where Uh, people do the, the psychologists do some nonverbal priming to either, uh, create greater degrees of uncertainty or anxiety, or create greater degrees of calm and surety and, uh, stability. And then they, you know, they try to sell them something or they try to convince them of something. Um, and what those studies show is that, you know, more uncertainty, less likely to change your mind, more, uh, more certainty or more calm, more likely to, to change your mind. Um, So that's one thing to to keep in our minds. Uh, The reason this is the case is that we have this kind of human urge to move beyond uh, uncertainty. So um, I talk to my students a lot about homeostasis for systems in in, in general, but we don't like being agitated. Uh, We don't like uncertainty. And we want to move past that uncertainty And to to clear it up. So one of the easiest ways to clear up that uncertainty is just fall back on our already existing beliefs and use those beliefs to explain explain the world. So, um, but it it gets really complicated really, really quickly. Like, let's say you work for a company and you've got four or five different products and one product is super successful. And the one product is super successful because... Uh, all your all your clients seem to think that it looks really nice. It has a nice aesthetic. So um, a new product comes out, and the new product isn't doing very well, and it's causing anxiety. It's causing stress. You're more likely to just go back to your original belief that oh, aesthetic aesthetically produced um, products sell better at this company. So let's you know the reason that it's not selling well must be the aesthetics of the of the product. Well, <clears throat> maybe, but maybe not. Um, you, your desire to seek closure in that circumstance, your desire to seek a final answer and alleviate the uncertainty and direct the course of action is so great that it pushes you in the direction of falling back on the already, your already existing kind of entrenched beliefs. And that's not unusual. Um, so, you know, think about when you're making a hiring decision or or coping with organizational change if you work for a large organization or forming a political opinion or making any other decisions. Uh, if we, we need, in those cases, to take our time. Because if, if we dwell calmly among a feeling or in a feeling of uncertainty, it'll help us make a more rational decision. If we're, we're making a hiring decision, coping with organizational change, or trying to form an opinion or make a decision, and we're not dwelling calmly if we're in a space of augmented or increased agitation or uncertainty or stress... We won't make a rational decision, even when you're nearly positive that you're correct. So even if you think you're absolutely certain this is the case. Um, so it's actually good advice to string decisions that involve ambiguity over a period of days and revisit them when you're in different moods. Um, because if you allow for that time, if you allow for the possibility to live within with that ambiguity you improve the likelihood that you'll think through carefully the right decision. Um, so like, so what, what happens in experiments is that psychologists, they counteracted the problem of urgency by basically cautioning people to make deliberate judgments uh, before the judgments are about to be made. So uh, like a subject of a psychological experiment could be told that they'll have to justify their evaluation in front of a group afterward, so that their judgments are going to be compared with the actual performance of candidates later on, or that their evaluations are going to be contrasted with expert ones. Um, So like, for example, in one study where soldiers evaluated military recruits, the participants were informed that their decisions would affect soldiers' actual placement, and the misjudgments could harm the recruits' military careers. so, like, by emphasizing the harmful consequences, basically the subjects know, don't, I shouldn't make a rush decision. Uh, but for people that act- to actually change their minds in the light of information, they need, essentially, reminders at the start of every process. Um, so, basically, leaders need kind of two tools, I would say, to um, to counteract or to combat the biasing or the kind of complicated not bi- complicating is not the right word, but the biasing influence of urgency or uncertainty or stress on decision making. Um, so, you know, we need tools basically that foster a greater awareness of our need for closure. That's one set of tools. And we also need tools that keep the consequences of decisions salient for us, so that keep bringing to mind that it's the effects of this decision that really matter. Our need for closure uh, is dangerous, essentially, Um, and it can skew our ability to make decisions. So let's talk about this in terms of leadership. Here's what we know in terms of leadership communication. A CEO or someone in a management position or someone in any kind of leadership position, their ability to tolerate ambiguity or uncertainty is absolutely critical for that organization's success. If a, if a person in a leadership position cannot tolerate ambiguity, is constantly rushing or seeking or pushing for closure, um, then that that organization is going to make bad decisions. So if, if they're letting the uncertainty around them, drive them to closure too quickly, they'll make a bad decision because they won't be in a kind of rational place to calmly assess all of the information. So when you're looking for, if if you're out there hiring for a leadership position, or if you're looking for leadership talent, you should be looking for the person who has the capacity to tolerate ambiguity. It's crucial to success. So here's another story. Um, And so, okay, this means that a leader has to both listen for uh, dwell in and talk in terms of ambiguity or uncertainty. So uh, there is a um, FBI negotiators, for example, they go into a situation, someone has hostages and uh, and the hostages, uh, and the person that has the hostages, you know, wants something. Um, and it's a tense and stressful scene. So the actual kind of uh, guys carrying the guns, you know, they, they want to intervene and end it quickly. They want closure really, really quickly. But the, the negotiator knows that closure isn't good. Like the, the negotiator wants to dwell in and manufacture some ambiguity and slow processes down. Because if the negotiator is able to slow processes down, um, then they can put the person holding the hostages and also the, the FBI guys with the guns in better positions to make decisions. But the way that the FBI uh, negotiator does that is that he or she looks for, listens for ambiguity. So if someone says, you know, I am holding these people hostage because it's the end of the world, aliens are about to come down from heaven and, you know, destroy all the earth. And the person appears to believe this really, really, really strongly. If I ratchet up the uncertainty and the tension around the situation, they will cling more strongly to those beliefs. But most people, like the vast majority of people, are plagued by degrees of uncertainty. Not even a a member of a cult who believes the world is going to end has that belief 100% of the time. There are moments of doubt and uncertainty. And what the FBI negotiator will do is look for or try to manufacture those moments of doubt or uncertainty or listen for them and then try to put the, the situation in calmer on calmer footing, so that those alternative views can be explored, um, and this is what good leaders do, sort of ac- across the board, regardless. I mean, the best leader I've ever worked with uh, had, I think, the thing that made her the best leader that I've I've ever worked with was that was her ability to live calmly in uncertainty, and never force a decision to just allow the decision the space and time it needed, allow people the space and time they needed. Um, and one of the ways that she did it that is that, okay, if something comes up and someone is like, oh, obviously, you know, this is a bad idea. We should not do this. And they, they articulate a really strong uh, vociferous closed perspective on what's going on. She would listen to that uh, Accept it for what it was, but also listen for any uncertainty with that person and try to position the conversation in firmer ground uh, In less stressful ground so that that person could be in a place to explore some other possibilities Now it might turn out that the conversation resulted in a decision that X was a really bad idea The thing we were talking about that the person had a really strong reaction to was a really bad bad idea at first but uh, This person who I'm thinking of in a leadership position Knew that if we just allowed the kind of urgency of the moment to force us to a position of closure, we would likely make a bad decision. It may happen to be right in that particular case, but we didn't use the best process to arrive at that at that conclusion. So, uh, this also it, it's also useful to note. Okay, so there's a couple useful things here. Like one, we need to remember even when people are expressing their views strongly or articulating high degrees of of certainty about their view likely they have some reservations and the reason that they're articulating their high degree of entrenched certainty is because they're feeling some need for that some urgency for that that belief contextually and if i create a context whereby there's a greater degree of calm then i can open them up to the possibility of listening for talking through some of the ambiguity in the situation Um, so the the second thing i know is that like self-satisfied people people who are really 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 self-confident uh, that that need that just think that they know everything right away and then they just need closure really really quickly because they're so sure that they're right those people have no business being in leader, in leadership positions and they're much more likely to be dangerous irrational thinkers so this whole thing with trump and his gut like he just knows x is as the case that's exactly what you're looking not what you're looking for in a leader that's exactly the kind of person that makes irrational decisions because they have no tolerance for living inside of ambiguity or uncertainty they can't listen for it um they can't they can't look for it um also the the so this means that you know when confidence levels are too high um or let me put it like this. Self-confidence has no effect whatsoever. The self-confidence of a leader has no effect whatsoever on the, an organization's ability to perform productively. Uh, just none. None whatsoever. In fact, um, and, okay, th- and that's because, let's say you're a company called Research in Motion, and you made a really cool cell phone called a BlackBerry. And it's got specific, really cool technology that other cell phones at the time, at the time, don't have. Uh, what's the cause of the success of the product? Well, a lot of people will look around for a, a closure on that question. They they want a final answer to that question. Uh, but it turns out, like most things, most products or most companies are successful for a variety of complex reasons, and. When we reduce those complex reasons to one or two reasons, when we think this one or two things is driving the profitability of this company or the success of this particular product, we're probably wrong. Um, that's just our need, our psychological need for closure and for certainty. So, my intellectual kind of hero, John Dewey, wrote a book called *The Quest for Certainty*, which is one of my favorite books, where he describes this kind of human urge for for certainty. Um, but the, but the truth is that we don't know everything there is to know about why a product is successful or not successful. So a better company with better leadership doesn't look for a closed answer on why one product was successful, but is constantly living in a space of uncertainty, constantly saying, "You know, I'm not sure why this is working, let's keep thinking about it. And different answers might crop up at different occasions if you have that kind of attitude or orientation to uncertainty or ambiguity and can live inside it. Um, so, okay, we know that companies with CEOs or, or senior executives that have uh, super confident C- C- CEOs, there's no relationship to their their those companies' success. Uh, but we do know that if we have leaders who are able to tolerate and live inside and listen for and speak to uncertainty or ambiguity, those companies do have a higher likelihood of, of long-term success. Um, The uh, Zara, the clothing company, Zara is the kind of classic example of this, the CEO of Zara. Um, He was, I think, famous for saying optimism was a negative emotion uh, or self-satisfaction was a trap. Uh, Yeah, optimism he calls a negative, a very negative emotion uh, because optimism kind of produces too much certainty or too much closure around a particular a particular situation. So he was this really pessimistic, cynical kind of character that's constantly asking, okay, like what's going on here and constantly listening for or trying to articulate or trying to get at uncertainty or ambiguity to enrich or complexify, if that's a word, uh, his understanding of what's going on with his company. He's never seeking closure. He's always seeking, um, uh, seeking out that kind of uh, to live in that kind of ambiguity. Um, so I look for people when I'm thinking about leadership, I look for people who are who are able to communicate in or with uncertainty and don't look for, clo- for, for rapid, quick closure on a question. I look for people who are open to extended conversation and that try to engage in extended conversations in places of calm, um, in places where there's not a sense of urgency. So I look for leaders that take out, that take the urgency out of a situation so people feel uh, more stable in their in their decision-making processes. Um, and when I see self, too much self-confidence uh, and I see someone that's constantly seeking rapid closure I know that that person is not going to be a good decision maker, and that company is is not going to do very well in the long run if it's plagued by leadership like that. Um, okay, so that's it for episode sixty. I think we'll kind of continue to talk some about um, uh, about effective leadership. Uh, we have to talk more about trust, I think. Uh, trust comes apart from transparency, but trust also comes, uh, and confidence also comes from leaders that are able to do what I've described here. So, you know, there's a difference between, and there's an important difference between confidence, like self-confidence, like a leader's ability to project self-confidence, and a leader's ability to have the effect or inspire confidence in others. So. What a leader wants is not self-confidence, but a leader wants other people to have confidence in, in him or her. And that comes from communication practices that produce trust. And so transparency was one of those communication practices that produced trust. But so is this kind of openness to ambiguity or uncertainty. So is this kind of willingness to live in a space of ambiguity or uncertainty and this kind of resistance to uh, rapid closure those are also kind of mechanisms for producing trust in others um okay so that's it for episode 60 uh, 60 thanks everyone for listening um we'll i'll be back in a week or so